Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Professional mountain biker Adam Craig says it's one of the top three places in the universe he's ridden. Where is this magical mountain biking nirvana? It's none other than Brevard, North Carolina, home to Pisgah National Forest and DuPont Recreational Forest. The area boasts over 300 miles of peerless single track, not to mention hundreds of miles of gravel roads, creating a near endless array of routes, terrains, and challenges to explore. Four vibrant bike shops will get you sorted, whether you need gear, service, or a top-notch rental. Top it off with an array of craft breweries, cafes, and gathering spots that have earned Brevard the title as one of the best small towns in America in 2021. It all adds up to a premier mountain biking destination you'll want to experience for yourself. Find out more at explorebrevard.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Rachel Fussell. Rachel is the Electric Mountain Bike Policy and Program Manager at People for Bikes. The group's stated mission is to change the world through bikes by focusing on empowering cities, creating connections, and supporting the bike industry. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, so Rachel, you're based in Vermont, right? Tell us a bit about your background and what you were doing before joining People for Bikes. Yes. So I am currently based in lovely Stowe, Vermont, where I'm very lucky to have access to some amazing mountain biking right outside my front door. Mm -hmm. And before I joined People for Bikes, I was the executive director of Stowe Trails Partnership, which started as a mountain biking trail organization and now stewards over 40 miles of multi-use trails, has over 1,700 members, and is a chapter of Vermont Mountain Bike Association. During my tenure, I helped to build, maintain, and promote access to a diverse trail network for all trail users to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I continue to serve on Stowe Trail's board of directors, and I'm still actively involved in building and maintaining mountain biking trails in my community. Mm. And then among those experiences, I've also worked as a trail crew member with the U.S. Forest Service in Oregon, Idaho, and Virginia, worked with the Sierra Club on conservation projects in Alaska and Vermont, and worked with the USDA National Organic Program. Hmm. And I'm also a very avid mountain biker myself. I've been riding for over 12 years, and it's my personal mission to hit all of the single track trails in the U.S. and abroad. Oh, that's awesome. Were e-bikes like a thing uh, when you were working for the trail organization? Uh, I mean, you're currently working there, but before you were at People for Bikes, were like e-bikes a topic of conversation or something that the group had to deal with? Yes. Yeah, so with Stowe Trails Partnership, and we definitely dealt with electric mountain bikes specifically, as we were mainly dealing with naturally surfaced non-motorized trails. And But previous to that, EMTBs weren't really on the radar, and although I had gone places where they existed, I never really noticed them or they weren't really a topic that were on the forefront of my mind. Yeah, so there wasn't like a lot of conflict, I guess, in Stowe, at least. Um, there hasn't been up until now. Is that is that accurate? 
Yes, that's accurate. I actually think there was more conflicts with fat bikers in oh, the wow. wintertime than there were with e-mountain bikes. But that's obviously changed over time with the new technology coming out and yeah. more and more people seeing electric mountain bikes as a way to continue riding and spreading joy through biking. Yeah, interesting. Well, electric mountain bikes are still relatively new, and it seems like there's a patchwork of regulations out there right now. So I want to talk about some of the regulations that are out there to kind of set the baseline for people, because it is it's changing so much. So if we could start at the federal level, where are we in terms of how electric mountain bikes are viewed when it comes to trail access? Yes, great question. Um, and you're totally right. There is a nationwide patchwork across local, state, and federal agencies mm -hmm. with different e-bike policies, some of which regulate e-bikes as a motorized use and some as a non-motorized use. So starting at that federal level, mm -hmm. agencies within the Department of the Interior, which include the National Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife, and the Bureau of Reclamation, they all treat electric bicycles as a non-motorized vehicle while the Forest Service regulates them as motorized. So the U.S. Forest Service is the only federal agencies whose current policy is that e-bikes are motor vehicles. Hmm. Do you have any sense of like where the mountain bike trails are located? I mean, it seems like a lot of them are on Forest Service land, and it also seems like the BLM has a lot of trails as well, a lot of the stuff out west places like Moab, that's BLM. So it are, is like one of those land agencies a bigger kind of manager of mountain bike trails than the other, or are they kind of evenly split? I would say you're spot on with the BLM as well as the U.S. Forest Service are the two folks that we're mainly looking at when we're thinking of mountain biking trails on public lands or federal lands. So those are the two big ones. And uh, I know BLM has authorized the use of the three-class system, and again, the U.S. Forest Service is still working through their, their policies as of now. But yeah, those are the two big ones. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then different states obviously have different laws. Um, I think we've covered them sort of as they've come up. But uh, I feel like Colorado was one of the early ones to kind of set that distinction. But yeah, are there other states that are notable in terms of like what they're doing as far as e-bike access? Yeah, so there's actually quite a few states. So as of February 2021, there are 47 states and the District of Columbia that specifically define e-bikes. Hmm. And then of those states, there are 36 that use the three-class model that matches the industry standard that's recommended by bicycle advocates. Okay. And today, really, like for this podcast, I'll be mainly focusing on class one, which are the bicycles that are equipped with a motor that provides assistance only when the rider is pedaling mm -hmm. and it ceases to provide assistance when the bike reaches 20 miles per hour. Right. And that's, I mean, most mountain bikes are that, right? I mean, exactly. yeah, we talk about these three classes and it's like every bike I've ever looked at is a class one, right? Like, is that about? Yes. I mean, for me, that's very accurate of, I haven't seen any EMTB or electric mountain bike that is not a class one. So that's typically what we're what we're talking about on naturally surfaced non-motorized trails. Yeah, interesting. And again, these state regulations though, I mean it's still not the whole picture because in a lot of cases maybe that just means like state parks, but then plenty of trails are on county land or city land or they're privately owned and so there's still a lot of that confusion about where people can ride and where they can't ride. I was just seeing today somebody posted in our local uh, Atlanta area mountain bike 
group, they asked, well, you know, where can I ride an e-bike? And there wasn't even a clear answer. Somebody was just like, uh, I think you can ride them everywhere except this one place or whatever. And it's like, that that's definitely a challenge, isn't it? Oh, it's very much a challenge. And for the local level, my best advice is to check with your local land manager or your local trail association before riding an EMTB to ensure that no restrictions have been imposed and that you aren't riding where you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But we and myself believe that it's very important for decisions on trail access to be made within local communities. So even though the federal and state have these regulations, a lot of times it is still up to the local land managers to make the decisions that is best for their communities, which we fully support. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really good point that these aren't like blanket, you know, e-bikes are allowed on all trails. A lot of times it just says they're allowed unless some, you know, local land manager says they're not. So yes, exactly. Still very flexible. So currently some mountain bikers seem to be worried about whether electric and non-electric bikes can share the trail. I'm curious to know if you are aware of any evidence that a conflict exists in terms of sharing trails and and what would that even look like? A lot of people mention like different speeds and things, but what, what are you seeing? Yes. So this is a great question. And I do believe that more and more land managers and trail users understand that class one electric mountain bikes and analog mountain bikes are similar modes of recreating and can share the trail without conflict, Mm -hmm. especially once users ride or experience a trail where EMTBs exist or they're already allowed Mm -hmm. because EMTBs do have similar components. They do have similar speeds, impacts on the trails and even even health benefits. Hmm. So, and like you said, the most often the concerns I hear over EMT beads are speed. Mm-hmm. However, we did find some data. And when you look at the data, we found that that speed uh, concern isn't necessarily the case. So Tahoe National Forest collected data on comparative speeds on the trails where class one EMTBs were proposed for recreational use. And mm-hmm. they measured the differences in average and top speeds between intermediate and advanced riders mm-hmm. on both analog mountain bikes and class one EMTBs over mixed terrain. So that includes downhill, uphill, and flat sections of trails. Yeah. And what their results showed was that the average speed was similar between class one EMTBs and their analog counterparts on flat and downhill sections of the trail, which is really interesting, right? Yeah. yeah. And then on uphill sections, the class one EMTBs were able to achieve higher speeds, which makes a lot of sense because you do have the pedal assist. But those speeds range from eight to 13 miles per hour, while analogs average about five to eight miles per hour over the same sections. Mm. However, that range of differences in speed can be observed between novice and expert riders. So the big takeaway for me, and I believe the Tahoe National Forest, is that speed is actually largely determined by rider skill Mm -hmm. and trail design, not necessarily comparing EMTBs to analog bikes. So allowing class one electric mountain bikes on trails that are currently open to and heavily used by mountain bike enthusiasts will not measurably alter current patterns of use or displace other user groups that currently recreate on those trails. And the conflicts of speed really shouldn't be existing as long as trail etiquette and being kind when you're on a trail are being noted. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering, do you know where they got that data? Was that like, cause it seems like you could just look at Strava or something. You could just say, <laughs> 
filter it by like e-bike and not e-bike. But yeah, that's that's really interesting data. Yeah, they actually got it. Um, so we, that was within the Tahoe National Forest and the eZone Connectivity Project. Mm-hmm. And they decided to actually study class one EMT beads and the speeds as part of that whole progressive approach to this new form of recreation. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, I mean, the other thing that, that seems to be the real driver of conflict, especially between bikes and hikers is, is that speed differential. I mean, obviously a biker is riding a lot faster than a hiker can walk. And it doesn't seem like, yeah, that that differential is huge compared to what it would be between like a traditional bike and an electric bike. And especially once you think about going downhill. Yeah. I'm interested to know what those downhill speeds are compared to, to the uphill speeds. Cause I feel like you're still going faster downhill than you ever could climb on an e-bike. So you're not necessarily making the hikers more uncomfortable maybe. <laughs> yeah. So the downhill seems to be pretty similar. Cause you're th- if you think about it, the EMTVs are typically heavier than your analog mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. So I don't think though the weight difference there equates to more speed necessarily because you're still having to pedal it's still all about your technique and how you ride a bike Mm -hmm. so again it's more about are you an expert rider are you a novice and that really helps to define what your speed will be because no matter what bike you're riding it's your 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 level of riding ability Mm -hmm. which really equates to speed and and safety yeah and with hikers i do think trail design should also come into play because for instance if you're going quickly uphill or downhill and there are blind corners because the trail is made in such a way that there are more conflict or safety issues that arise from the trail design. Again, not just because EMTBs are inherently faster. So I think that's something else to think about. Yeah. 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 I guess what I was trying to say earlier was that to a hiker, a mountain biker or an e-biker, they're both coming at them fast. Yes. And they, I don't think Either way, they're like, this is a lot faster than I'm going. And I don't know that either one of them is more or less frightening for them. And that's just a fact of of sharing trails. And you make a good point about just there are so many different factors in terms of what is allowing you to go faster. And a lot of times it is skills and fitness. And we can't just say it's just because you have a motor. That's why you're riding fast or you're riding out of control or any of those things. It is a lot of it is up to the rider. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing too, that I don't, I don't know if you touched on it, but e-bikes and regular bikes, they're also both quiet. I mean, they're both really similar in that way as well, in terms of like sharing the trail. Yes. Yeah, totally. So now I'm curious to know whether our basic trail etiquette rules that most of us know and hopefully try to follow, do the rules that we currently have apply to electric mountain bikes or do we need to update and maybe add some new rules of the trail for people who are riding electric? Yes. So I do believe that basic trail etiquette covers both EMTBs and analog bikes for reasons I just mentioned in the last question. Yeah. And I do think I need to state that while there may be individuals practicing irresponsible trail use in all user groups, I do not believe this is the case with whole communities or or whole user groups. Mm. 
Yeah. But there was a recent study by Langford in 2015 that showed that riders of e-bikes and analog bicycles display similar safety behavior while riding. Hmm. And as I also said, class one EMTBs and analog mountain bikes have almost indistinguishable frames and components, mm -hmm. making their stopping ability also similar. So we have the speed and also being able to stop the same as analog bikes. So for all those reasons, I believe trial etiquette guidelines should be the same for both types of users. Mm -hmm. But within those etiquette guidelines, we should emphasize a few points, especially as I was mentioning the uphill mm. um, speed parameters. Yeah. So mainly I would point out or highlight you notifying other users when passing on uphill sections and then also yielding to all other trail users because EMTBs can get going a little bit easier because they have the pedal assist. Mm -hmm. I have seen a lot of EMTBs on local trail networks are more likely to get off, get off their bikes and stop because they know they can more easily start again. Oh, right. And of course the most impactful thing that I think we can all do is as riders is just to be kind to everyone. I think that's a fail safe way to create a positive impact yeah. on both other users and other bikers and really to create a positive impact for EMTBs in your community. Yeah. And then I do think we should be improving education and understanding the basic trail etiquette guidelines and user responsibilities because they are effective means of mitigating potential conflicts and better education across the board will certainly expand opportunities for all users to recreate safely and sustainably on, on trails on public lands. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You you make me think too, that like maybe it's actually easier to be courteous on an e-bike. Cause like you said, you know, like if you're climbing a hill, Man, if you're if you're doing a hundred percent under your own power, like you don't want to stop because you know how hard it is to get going again. But if you're on that e-bike, you figure, what the heck, you know? Like it's no big deal for me to to hop back on. Interesting. Yeah, it's something that I wouldn't have thought of unless I was doing some group rides and there was happened to be an electric mountain biker in the group, and he would always get off the bike before anyone else would. Huh. And because he would kind of giggle and say, well, I can just start just as easily. It doesn't matter if I'm on a hill or a flat section or going downhill. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And maybe e-bikers are happier. I don't know. Maybe they're just out there enjoying themselves more. Could be. So now I want to talk a little bit about uh, the areas where maybe you're seeing success in gaining trail access for e-bikes. One of the ways we've seen people getting e-bike access is through getting rules on existing trails updated, um, which can be controversial. You can, you know, some people uh, maybe don't want to see those rules changed. And then also I'm hearing a lot about gaining access through new trail builds. So, you know, this is a brand new project. And so from the beginning, people are saying we want to allow e-bikes here. Um, and so that's another way. So, so what are you seeing? Is Are those the two main strategies and, and which ones does one work better than the other? Hmm. Yes. Good question. And I honestly think it's a little bit of both. Although most recently I have been seeing getting rules on existing trails updated to be a good way to move forward. But the foundation I think of gaining a trail access is enacting that three class model legislation at the state and federal level, mm -hmm. because it defines and regulates those three classes of electric bicycles within the state's motor vehicle code, giving riders similar rights and duties to that of traditional bicycle riders. Mm. And then where land managers have provided access for EMTBs, that access is typically limited, as we noted in the beginning, to the class one EMTBs that are pedal assist only. Mm -hmm. And it's critical that that 
regulatory system be in place that recognizes these products? And if land managers don't have terms and definitions that describe the types of electric bikes that they want to allow, they won't be able to make those good decisions. Mm, right. So, but in addition to the to legislation and rulemaking, working with local land managers and implementing local and regional pilot projects on the existing trail network has been, I believe, really helpful just for folks and users to discover EMTBs and see their impact in real time. So mm. in my previous role as executive director of Stowe Trails Partnership, we did launch an EMTB pilot project in our community to determine the impacts of EMTBs on local trail networks. We utilized demos of the electric mountain bikes, user surveys on perceptions, trail etiquette, trail impact data, as well as safety data. Mm -hmm. We're all being used to figure out what are the real time, the real world impacts for our communities. Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful for us as land managers and our trail partners, which included conservation entities, town managers and others who were just interested to use this information, to use it more broadly. Mm-hmm. And also in People for Bikes, we'll also be launching a pilot program in the Northeast and California to collect data and empower local groups. Because what we see is when we allow or have pilot projects, it does empower local groups to see what the real world impacts. So not only reading the studies, but then doing it themselves. Yeah. And that's typically an impetus for these permanent EMTB policies to be created. So that's what happened in Jefferson County, Colorado, and also in Tahoe National Forest. Mm -hmm. They both did these pilot projects and both ended up adopting a permanent policy to allow electric bicycles, or I guess class one EMTBs on naturally surfaced trails. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I imagine part of that, that demonstration is, you know, I mean, a big part of it, is the local community having different trail users go out and try it. But also I would think it's for the land managers because not all of them for starters are even mountain bikers and the ones who are, there's a good chance maybe they've never been on an e-bike and, you know, are uncertain of, of what it can do. So what do land managers generally think about e-bikes on trails? Is this something that they're hesitant to embrace or they're like skeptical about, or is this something where they're actively interested in, in seeing how they can allow more people to use their lands? Yeah. So I think that there's a range of perspectives on this, but Mm -hmm. from my conversations with land managers and being one previously, I think even the land managers who aren't bikers themselves have never been on an EMTB they still want to find a solution to allowing EMTBs on multi-use trails because they don't want to prohibit an entire user group from using public spaces that we all as citizens or community members want to enjoy. So we don't want to alienate the entire user group, but as we all know, currently land managers do have a lot to deal with, with COVID and the increase in trail users So it creates more strain on land managers' time and on the trail resources themselves. So I think most land managers are really interested in EMTBs and want to find solutions, but they have to find the time and have to mitigate the different concerns coming from the communities. Mm -hmm. But the specific concerns I've heard from land managers on EMTB access typically fall into two buckets, one being user conflict and the other is the environmental degradation concerns. Mm -hmm. So under user conflict, the main concerns typically focus on overuse of the trail system and trail etiquette, as we've talked about before, especially on multi-use trails. And although it is noted that EMTBs 
are not the only contributor to social impacts on naturally surfaced trails. For example, COVID, Mm -hmm. there's been an uptick in individuals using public outdoor spaces. Other factors are the GPS-based racing apps and tracking apps Mm. and just an increase in the outdoors in general. So I think that's something that we can all work on together, EMTB users included. And then that second bucket under environmental degradation the main concerns there focus on damaging the trails. Mm-hmm. However, EMBA in 2015 actually conducted a survey that probably a lot of people are aware of, and it concluded that Class 1 EMTBs are not likely to have any more impact than traditional mountain bikes or other trail users on the trail. Mm-hmm. So, And although that is the question that is most commonly cited by land managers who may not know or may not know a lot about EMTBs or mountain bike riding, it's generally seen as a misconception based on that study. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you make a good point that uh, one of the big arguments is that if if e-bikes are allowed, this is going to increase the number of people on the trails. But I think we can all agree that COVID probably did that much to a different order of magnitude most places. And, you know, that will probably change once people are back to their old routines and, you know, doing more things indoors. And so, yeah, it, it does seem like kind of a minor concern um, in light of, of what we've dealt with more recently. And yeah, so would you characterize land managers as a whole, though? Are they, they generally like a pretty conservative group in terms of like doing things the way they've always done them? Or are they perhaps innovative and like always looking for ways to do something different? That is a really good question. I think a lot of the lane managers that I've worked out, worked with are lean more conservative in their thinking, mainly because they know they have so many issues to juggle mm-hmm. and one trail network or one trail system or one federal agency. So they know that by adding in a new recreation or a new technology, they don't want the experience of others to be diminished because they've added something on. So I think that's why they typically are more conservative, which is why those pilot projects and having demos and studying the user perceptions and what's actually happening on the ground are so important for land managers and local communities is because they don't want to diminish the trail experience for anyone. And that includes for EMTBs as well. Yeah. And I guess too, I mean, if we, if we consider the word conservation, which is at the heart of what a lot of land management agencies are tasked with doing, uh, they, they have to be conservative. You know, they're trying to conserve these natural resources for generations. And so, yeah, you can't, can't make decisions necessarily that quickly, or you, you really have to take a lot into account before you can, can say yes or no on certain uses. So it, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. So you you mentioned that EMBA's uh, survey and study about environmental impacts due to e-bikes. Are these like objective, evidence-based facts effective in terms of gaining trail access? Or do you find that people are just more, they just kind of go on their gut and their feeling about like whether e-bikes are a good thing or a bad thing? So I find that land managers are really interested in the evidence-based studies, reports, or any facts that we can gather. And it's a good, it's a good foundation or a good backbone to creating this, um, for many of the decisions being made on EMTB access. 
because there are these unknowns around this being a new technology and EMTB access being introduced into the recreation sphere. However, I do think for most users, there many decisions I think are based on user perceptions or their, as you said, gut reactions. For example, folks who believe that like, well, I have to pedal, then so should you, or like having more of a purist mindset right. around the trails and biking as a sport. So, but I think if we remove our preconceived notions or our biases from the equation, which research and studies and evidence-based things do, I believe that most land managers and trail users would allow class one EMTBs on naturally surfaced, non-motorized trails. And I just think again, these studies are the entry point into the conversation and can be used as the foundation for then to have a pilot project move forward or a discussion to happen based on these studies. So I think they're really effective from my viewpoint. Yeah, that's good. I mean, and most of the mountain bikers, you know, at least most of the commenters that we have on single tracks and on social media, everybody seems to want to be very rational um, in these discussions and, and point to things. And yeah, I think as a whole, mountain bikers tend to be a group of, of people that do choose evidence-based data, but but not always. So I guess that keeps it interesting. <laughs> yes, always interesting in this space currently. Never a dull moment. Yes. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we come back, we're going to talk about electric mountain bike access advocacy and some of the risks that may be involved in that. Stay tuned. If you haven't already rated and reviewed the Single Tracks podcast in your podcast app, now's the time to do it. We're randomly selecting listener reviews to read on the show. And if we choose yours, you'll get a free Single Tracks hat in the mail. Hit pause right now, write a quick review, and then listen to future episodes to find out if you won yourself a hat. Happy trails. And we're back. So, Rachel, is there a risk that advocating for e-bike access could hurt traditional mountain bike trail access in any way? This seems to be an argument that we've heard from folks uh, for a number of years. So I'm curious to know, like, is there any evidence of this being the case or, or even a, any examples of this happening? Mm. Yeah, so I think this is something that has come up quite a bit and something that people for bikes and myself are very focused on. But if we use that definition of class one EMTBs as bicycles and not motorized vehicles, this will help prevent access threats for analog mountain bikes while allowing EMTB access. So I honestly believe that advocating for class one EMTBs on trails will not hurt trail access for analog bikes as they are specifically defined as pedal assist and categorized as a bike. And as I previously mentioned, they have similar components, speed, impacts on the trails, and health benefits. Mm -hmm. So what we're really doing is class one EMTBs are simply expanding the spectrum of what a bike is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But to your question of the biggest threat, to me, the biggest threat to access is out-of-class products on the trails. Mm. And that's likely to do the most damage to access issues. So it's really important. It's really important for EMTB users to be aware of not only what they're riding, what class they're riding, but also be aware of local rules and regulations and know where they are allowed to ride before they even hit the trail. So mm -hmm. really, I think if access to traditional mountain bikes are endangered, it's most likely that's out of class, not mm. any bikes that are within the three class system or class one EMTBs specifically because they act like an analog bike in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes me think of too, like 
the potential for people to modify their bikes. That's something people are always worried about that someone's going to buy a class one and they're going to, you know, hack it so that they can ride it 60 miles an hour down the trail and that's going to get everybody in trouble. Yes. But, you know, at the same time, there's people on regular bikes that do bad things. And, you know, we saw it maybe not directly, but the Kingdom Trails uh, issue Mm -hmm. uh, in your neck of the woods where, you know, it was a few, allegedly a few mountain bikers behaving badly and being disrespectful toward a landowner got all the bikers banned. And so, again, it's not because he was on a mountain bike or an e-bike. It's just somebody was being a jerk. And so yes. <laughs> like there's, there's not a whole lot you can do about that, I guess. Right. I think that's the rest, like what I said before of irresponsible behavior on the part of an individual should not mean that the whole group is somehow bad or will cause trail access issues, mm-hmm. but that, yeah, like in Kingdom Trails, what happened there was really unfortunate and I think the biggest threat is people who are doing things they know they shouldn't be doing or riding things where they know they should not be. So I do think these out of class and people for bikes and our industry members are certainly working on this topic and trying to figure out how we can make sure that we're um, all working together on the, on the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, like people for bikes is not, it's not people for e-bikes. Like you're not an e-bike organization. And so you know, if, if you, something you're doing on the e-bike side has the potential to hurt all bikes, then that doesn't make sense. I mean, that's obviously not, not your goal and not what you want to do in any way, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. We're people for all bikes and electric mountain bikes and electric bikes and commuter bikes and all types, analogs. We're for them all. And we want to make sure we're doing things that supports everyone having access to bikes and being able to ride. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I'll share that um, recently there was a story. I won't mention any of the specifics because some of this information was on background, but the story that initially came out was that a land agency was being asked to reconsider all bike access because of something that e-bikers had done or the fact that e-bikes were um, using trails or, or whatever it was. And so we thought, wow, this is like a big story because it, this is an example of maybe this happening. Um, but we contacted the land manager and found out that wasn't actually the case, that this was actually just just somebody who was known to be really anti-bike to start with. And so they were they were basically just using this as an excuse. So it had nothing to do, at least the information we got from the land manager, had nothing to do with the fact that that e-bikes were using a certain trail, it was it was all just it's just a person that <laughs> was a known complainer. So, uh, yeah. So we haven't found any evidence either. So another uh, thing that we're hearing about recently is this idea of like registration programs for e-bikes uh, that are need based, and so um, I believe it's Utah is debating an e-mountain bike registration program that allows physically disabled folks to ride e-bikes on trails, but the general public is still not allowed to ride on these certain trails on e-bikes. What do you think about that approach? Is that is that a good approach? Like, is it a good compromise or is that less than ideal? 
So I will say that we have several questions regarding the provisions of the bill that aim to improve access for injured or disabled bike riders. Mm -hmm. We have not been able to consult with the organizations that are dedicated to this field to obtain their opinions, because I do believe as the mountain bike community, we need to be as inclusive as possible. And that includes bringing disability organizations, adaptive organizations into the fold. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel comfortable necessarily weighing in on this as I'm not an expert in this field. I can say that Vermont does have something similar to what Utah is proposing. And as I, in my executive director role with Stowe Trails Partnership, saw that you're supposed to have a, uh, not necessarily a card, but you're supposed to be registered as someone with a disability before you can use an adaptive or an e-mountain bike on the trails. And we did not have anyone who used that system. So no one was actually registered in the town of Stowe. So, yeah. and but we still saw people who were out using the EMTBs and other assisted mobility devices on trails. Yeah. And we were happy to have them. Yeah. So I'm going to defer, and we're still we're actively reaching out to these disability groups, um, the Disability Law Center in Utah, and others to see like what is your feedback and opinion on this because we want to lean on you and your expertise. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We found there's a a program in Bellingham, Washington, as well, like where you can get you can get this pass that says you're allowed to ride an e-bike, and they all have varying. Uh, requirements like you got to get a doctor's note or some you just have to apply so it does seem like potentially it's a compromise but at the same time it, it raises the question of if it's okay for a few people to ride e-bikes why is it not okay for everybody yes if there truly are not these user conflict issues or, or trail and environmental issues so yeah that'll be a really interesting one to follow yeah, and we're following that very closely right now and, again, working with all different stakeholders, including bike groups in Utah, disability groups, and um, also hopefully some tribal groups as well, just to make sure we're hearing from everyone. Yeah, interesting. Well, aside from people for bikes, who else is advocating for electric mountain bikes? Is there like a need for separate electric mountain bike advocacy groups, or is this something that can fit into existing groups like IMBA and, and local trail clubs? Yes. Yeah, so I actually don't have a great example of um, a group that is specifically EMTB focused. And what I typically see are people who are EMTB enthusiasts and active riders who are just so passionate about their sport that they have um, taken it upon themselves to be these small groups of passionate community members. And I would love to see class one EMTVs being embraced more by the mountain biking community and the existing advocacy groups and our existing structures. Mm -hmm. Cause we know that EMTV riders are already in our communities. They're already riding and they do offer a lot of passion and drive to support our existing trail groups. And I don't necessarily believe that we need separate groups because we're all invested in the same goal, right? We're all wanting to secure access for trails, for all bikes and we all want to get out on the trail to connect with the dirt and have fun. And no one wants to jeopardize trail access on non-motorized natural surface trails. We're all just looking, as I said, we're looking for fun and to experience the joy of riding bikes. Yeah. Yeah. That really fits with what you're saying about just the goal of, of having class one e-bikes treated just like bicycles wherever possible. And so if we're going to treat them like bikes, then it makes sense to include them in these existing groups and organizations that are super effective. And 
there were in years past, I mean, you mentioned, I can't believe it was 2015 when Emba did that uh, e-bike study. Uh, so like six, seven years ago, at least. But I know there was like a big fragment of people that were like, ah, I'm leaving Emba because I'm against e-bikes or, you know, and it seemed like, man, maybe there is, this is going to be like two different groups. But like you said, there, there are these emerging groups as well. You see them all the time on social media of e-bike users and yeah, just trying to find their place. I think it will be interesting. And ultimately it seems best for these local clubs to embrace them uh, whenever they can. Yeah. And even when, when I was at Stowe Trails Partnership and we would roll out the pilot project, we of course got people saying, we're no longer supporting you because you support e-mountain bikes. And I just strongly believe we are better and stronger together as a collective voice for mountain bikes, whether it's pedal assist or analog. We're again, we're all looking for the same thing and we all want to have fun out on the trails. So we're stronger together. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Well, finally, I want to ask you, why should mountain bikers care about e-bike access? Like if I'm someone who's like, yeah, that's fine. I don't mind other people riding them. It's not for me. I'm going to always just ride a regular mountain bike. Like why should, why should I care about e-bike access? Should I just let them go it alone or, or should I actually get behind it and, and try to support that? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think for lots of reasons, we should all care about EMTB bike access. Um, like I said before, I, I would love to see our collective community come together and embrace this diverse user group. Mm -hmm. But one thing is inclusivity. So EMTBs do help to make our sport more accessible and inclusive as mountain biking as a whole has generally been seen as a predominantly white and male driven sport. And EMTBs have the potential to create more positive outcomes by enabling more people, particularly the elderly and the disabled folks who haven't traditionally been a part of the recreation sphere mm. to to come out and enjoy the outdoors and its associated health benefits. Mm -hmm. And it just gives people who may not otherwise be able to bike due to physical limitations or the proximity, the ability to overcome those challenges because the EMTB allows you to go further distances to go there. Yeah. And then another thing that I've been thinking about recently is climate change. So I believe EMTBs offer a really exciting opportunity to address climate change by allowing more riders to ditch the car and actually ride to the trailhead. Yeah. So this decreases not only the need for parking infrastructure, which during the pandemic has been an issue that's bubbled up due to increase in trail use. And I think in Vermont, there we had to put up signs saying, if this parking lot's full, you have to go this way and here's where you should park. Mm -hmm. But then it also puts a little bit more pressure for our um, commuters and biking lanes in our towns. So like if people are using EMTBs to commute to the trailheads, they're amazing for commuting and they're amazing for recreation trails. So they kind of do it all and they can kind of um, straddle that line between uh, climate change and recreation and um, transportation and recreational use. Mm, yeah. And then the other... One other thing is that um, this is for myself, and it's always been in the back of my mind as I ride, is I'm going to be getting older at some point, and my goal has always been I want to ride for as long as possible, and EMTBs allow riders of all ages to continue riding and continue finding stoke and solace and joy of being out on a bike. So EMTBs are not only are we all going to be getting older and looking for ways to continue our passion within the sport, but it's also just, it's really fun. EMTBs are 
fun is the only way to really describe it. The first time I got on an ENTB, I could chat the whole way with my writing buddies, like going uphill and going downhill. It just made it more community focused, more just pure fun. And yeah, so I think, I think those are all my top reasons for why we should all care about EMTB access. And Yeah, those are all great. Like, and it's interesting because I think most people have heard those arguments as well. And, you know, the ones who don't buy into them, you know, I mean, let's start with the, the idea of like making mountain biking more inclusive and diverse. And, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, why, why should I care? Like I do it. And, you know, why do we need more people? But when you're saying this is making me think of like families, right? Like so many people, I'm going to say men too. There's a lot of men that ride and they wish that their, their partner or their spouse rode with them. And honestly, your, your partner, your spouse doesn't want to ride with you because you leave them behind every time and <laughs> you don't wait for them <laughs> and you do these rides that are hard and they get exhausted and so, yeah, I mean, e-bikes are a way to, to help that and make the sport more family friendly to bring it home and to bring it, make it more personal. And then the parking issue is interesting as well. I mean, again, if, if you can tell people, Hey, you keep riding your regular bike, there's going to be f- more spaces in the parking lot because these e-bike folks, they're riding from their house. They don't, they don't need to drive <laughs> to the trailhead. So again, like selfishly, this, this helps you. And then. Yeah, when you're saying about just the rides being more fun and more social, I think that's the other thing maybe we don't necessarily think about that a lot of time, I mean, the e-bike is not, it's not competitive. I mean, there are e-bike races, but in general, people are riding them to have fun and to be social. And when you're on those types of rides, you're not like head down, you know, being the, the Strava hole. Uh, person that's just like barreling down the trail and like, you know, not paying attention to other users. Yeah. Like you said, I'm, I'm starting to, to be on board with this idea that, yeah, maybe e-bikers are actually uh, set up to be more courteous (laughs) than the rest of us. So yeah, all really good. Oh, good. Yeah. All really good, good points. I'm glad I could bring some good points and hopefully (laughs) persuade some people to, to think about the research and the, the positive things that can come from EMTBs and not all the negative things that you might think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat um, and for the work that you're doing at people for bikes. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. It's been really wonderful to be here on the podcast. Uh, We will have a link to the people for bikes website uh, where you can get more information about their e-bike policies and programs. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week.